Hey friends, welcome back to the journal feed. My name is Nick Zelt, and this is the only place to get spoon-fed the latest and greatest of emergency medicine. We just want to keep you guys, you know, up to date on the literature. And to do that, we are willing to spoon-feed you the research. Now, let's take a quick look ahead at everything that we covered from last week. First off, a knee-jerk replacement of magnesium in the setting of hypokalemia just doesn't really help anyone. Second, thrombectomy for basilar artery occlusion, despite previous neutral trials, well, we've found some benefit. Third, there's new West trauma guidelines for pregnant patients, what you need to know about what's different for that population. Fourth, less and less fluid seems to be the trend for sepsis. In some cases, fluid restriction might even be the way to go. And then from the last article, no fear for radiation here. We're doing just fine in the emergency department in terms of avoiding those dangerous rays. Now, if you are hearing this right now, then you are not currently a Journal Feed subscriber. And so you're not getting the entire Journal Feed podcast. You're just getting a portion of the past week summaries. Don't worry, I, I pick good ones for you guys. But if you would like to get full access to both the podcast and the blog, then you'll have to become a member. All the details for that are at journalfeed.org. And always remember that if you have any trouble affording a subscription, just reach out and we'll help you out. This is the audio version of the past week summaries, which this week were brought to you by Amanda Matthews, Sam Parnell, Seth Walsh-Blackmore, Alex Clark, Jonathan Brewer, and Clay Smith. And so that brings us to our first article titled, The Effects of Magnesium Co-Administration During Treatment of Hypokalemia in the Emergency Department out of the Journal of Emergency Medicine. Alright, let's talk about hypokalemia. The classic over-exaggerated teaching is that hypokalemia equals hypomagnesemia. For this reason, it's sometimes recommended to replenish magnesium whenever you're giving some potassium. Is that really worth doing? This was a retrospective single-center cohort study out of an academic emergency department. They included hypokalemic patients who received IV potassium repletion. They compared those who also received magnesium IV or oral within four hours of their potassium repletion with those who didn't get any magnesium, and then they looked at the normalization of the potassium levels. They had 100 patients in each group. Now, patients in the group who received magnesium were more likely to be symptomatic from their hypokalemia and were more likely to have severe hypokalemia. When they followed up on the potassium levels, though, the time to normalization, the frequency of normalization, and the changes in the serum potassium after treatment were similar in both groups. Notably, the group that received magnesium had significantly higher rates of hypermagnesemia, though this didn't really lead to any adverse events. And 2 grams, just 2 grams, was the dose of magnesium that was usually given. Alright, so there's clearly some confounding here since the group that received magnesium with their potassium were worse off at baseline. But there's just no replacing an RCT sometimes. Truth be told, it's not my practice to automatically replete magnesium when I see a low potassium. Boy, do I ever like to give magnesium though. It's probably my favorite electrolyte. Now, I think that in symptomatic, hypokalemic, or severe hypokalemia, it's certainly worth considering. Just know that you might be kind of jumping the gun on it a little bit. I think you should just get a full electrolyte panel if you see abnormalities in your electrolytes, and then you'll be able to detect any significant imbalances and replete as necessary. In a spoonful, it seems like routinely giving magnesium alongside potassium to treat hypokalemia would not be beneficial in terms of increasing the potassium level more quickly or more thoroughly. 
Then we jump over to the third article. Titled Pregnancy and Trauma, a Western Trauma Association Algorithm out of the Journal of Trauma and Acute Care Surgery. Now, as with the rest of medicine, data on pregnant patients is kind of scarce. During those nine months, though, these patients are at risk, at least as much at risk, of pretty much everything that everybody else is at risk for. That includes trauma. The West Trauma Association has updated their guidelines for trauma in pregnancy so that we can follow their expert advice. Now, ideally, in your department, you should have a pre-planned obstetric trauma response team as well as a pre-prepared cart with everything that you need in it, both for mom and the neonate. Generally, for females in the trauma setting, anyone who could even possibly be pregnant should be tested, which is pretty well going to be everybody from the ages of 10 to maybe 55. All your initial steps, that being your primary survey and your x-rays, should be the same for a pregnant patient as for everyone else. But for all pregnant patients, regardless of gestational age, you should consult obstetrics. If the patient is hypotensive, then consider a left lateral tilt or left lateral decubitus, especially for patients over 20 weeks of gestation, to try to get the fetus off of that vena cava. Use O-negative blood until all your type and screening is done, and then all patients should receive Rogam if they're Rh negative. Give oxygen as necessary and try to minimize pressors. Remember that a mother that is hemodynamically in distress means that the fetus is much worse off. If chest tubes need to be placed, try to insert them one to two rib spaces higher than you normally would. With the uterus pushing up on the abdominal contents, you're going to have a lot less room for air. Ideally, you should have obstetrics assess for viability. But if they're not present, then you should assume that with any history of a gestation over 23 weeks, that the viability is just a given. Or if the fundus is above the umbilicus, then to assume viability. Now, if you do have a viable fetus, or you're assuming that it's viable, then fetal monitoring should be set up after the primary survey. Remember that pregnant or not, primary survey is the same. The secondary survey should now be expanded to include vaginal bleeding and checking for fetal parts, but don't do a speculum exam for now. The mother is always the priority in an unstable situation. They should get standard resuscitation. If they're not responding, then advanced procedures might be necessary. For instance, if a Reboa is placed, the aorta is cross-clamped, or the pelvis has to be embolized to control bleeding, then a C-section needs to be done, you know, right now. And that's hopefully going to be done in a controlled setting, because a peripartum C-section done in the trauma bay is only if the maternal death is imminent and you think there's a viable fetus. Stable mothers with fetal distress require monitoring for at least 24 hours. And now I know trauma likes to do pan scans, but we're going to try to cut down on that in this case and just be cognizant as well of all the medications that we give, as some of them could be contraindicated in pregnancy. On that note, though, remember that all RSI meds are okay to go in pregnancy, so you can focus on what is already going to be a possibly a difficult intubation. In the best case scenario, stable mothers without abdominal pain, high-risk mechanism, or signs of fetal distress need monitoring for at least six hours followed by a fetal ultrasound. And that's it. You're all set. Of course, a flow diagrams for all of this exist, and you can pull them up if you're in a pinch. In a spoonful, your primary survey in the case of trauma and pregnancy is the same. After that, things change a little bit, but not that much. Try to get OB involved as soon as possible. All right, let's do our wrap-up. Let's bring it all home. From the first article, you should probably get a magnesium level on your patients with hypokalemia. But giving magnesium right off the bat, along with your potassium, didn't seem to lead to faster correction. 
Third, uh, trauma in pregnancy is scary. Two heartbeats. That's twice as many to worry about. Stick with the familiar and proceed through your primary survey like normal. After that, you can check out the West Trauma Association guidelines for their nice flow diagrams. Now, links to all the articles summarized can be found at journalfeet.org, where the newsletter is the best place to make the podcast into a bite-sized nugget of space repetition. Now, if you're feeling some FOMO, you'd like to hear more podcasts, then you're going to have to come over and join the members' feed. Our goal here is to provide better patient care through spoon feeding, and so we're trying to help you keep up with the latest research one spoonful at a time. Thank you.